pouring from the buildings now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the Card Shark, Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> All right, whatever. Uh, how's the Alpha Flight collection coming? Uh, <laughs> I couldn't so... think of a clever way to work it in, so I just put it at the top of the show. <laughs> I'm so weak. You know, it's all Diablo Frank's fault. He started. It's like it's like the, your first taste is free, kid. He was kind enough to get me an Alpha Flight action figure, and it's just been like a giant freaking snowball. I've now got what, five action figures. Some of them are like an exclusive Toy Fair thing. I've got mini busts. It's just, it, 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 like open the floodgates, man. It's a sickness. It is a sickness. Did you but, buy? Uh, did you buy another guardian figure and melt that one so you have like a you can recreate number twelve or like a... I can make a bionic one. <laughs> that's, what, that's my plan. Gonna make a bionic one and then reveal it's a robot, but then later on reveal the story was actually true. And yeah, I need to do an Alpha Flight podcast. I think anyway. Um, I've been actually rereading a bunch of old Alpha Flight stories lately. Like not even like the burn ones. I've been seeking out like ancillary appearances because I've read the bird ones so many times. I need other ones. So it's, it's on. Did you know they were in Crystar? They were an issue of Christar the Crystal Warrior. No, I didn't know that. <laughs> Who knew? Nobody knew. I didn't. So. I guess they really wanted to boost those sales, huh? Star's last issue, too. <laughs> anyway, we should not be wasting our time talking about this. We should be talking about the Justice League trailer. Oh, my gosh. Since we recorded our last episode all about the Justice League, of course. Yeah, we made it happen once again. Right. Once again, uh, the, the powers that be immediately followed up on our recording of an episode and dropped something before we released <laughs> it, which would be the Justice League trailer. So, oof. well, Rob, why don't you why don't you start your thoughts? Because you know, it's got your boy in it. What'd you think? Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. The stuff I liked. I liked uh, Aquaman riding the Batmobile. That's <laughs> awesome. I love that. I love that we see Mira. Uh, I loved all the, the you know, the, they're certainly trying to show that it's lighter lighter than Batman v Superman, but so was Schindler's List. So, I mean, that's not a hard thing to make. Um, so I, I liked all the action beats. I 
I liked all the character stuff, the dialogue, everything about it. We get to see parademons. Like, that's really cool. I like that we didn't really uh, know what the plot is. I think that's great. Um, because especially unlike a certain other superhero movie trailer that dropped this week, they didn't <laughs> give away the whole freaking plot of the movie. Um, so I, I liked everything that I saw. Except this one thing. Okay. Um, I do not enjoy the physical act of looking at Zack Snyder's images. Mm. I think he makes ugly looking movies. I like, I look at the image. I just literally look at the images that are being paraded in front of me. And to me, they are an eyesore. And that is my only problem. And, and so, and this goes a little bit to what we've talked about in previous episodes. You're talking about comic books or whatever, but it's like for some people, no matter how good the story is, if they don't like the art, they can't get past it. Okay. And there are other people, there are other people who, if if they like the story enough, the art can be kind of one way or the other. And they can go, ah, I can get past it. In fact, we'll, we'll deal with that in this, in the comics we're going to be talking about later on. But I just look at the justice league trail and I'm like, this thing is ugly. It's just ugly to look at. And I wish Zack Snyder didn't have that color palette that he insists on, but he does. And so I'm going to not complain about it anymore because it's the kind of thing where if you don't, like the, if you don't, like, well, probably, but it's, I, I guess I shouldn't, I should, I need to be used to it at this point. Cause it's like, look, if you don't like the taste of Oreos, stop eating Oreos. <laughs> this is what his movies look like. This they is the third one. <laughs> they look the like Watchmen looked like this. Yeah. 300 looked like this. Sucker Punch looked like this. This is what his movies look like. I don't know why he does it that way, but he does. So other than the physical act of just like, God, I wish this movie didn't look like this. The beats that I saw, I liked a lot. And how can you not be excited at seeing Mira in a Justice yeah. League, in a movie? And the level, I'm, I'm used to Aquaman at this point. That's old news, which is amazing. Uh, <laughs> but, but the fact that they showed Mira prominently, that's pretty amazing. And I was happy to see Aquaman so prominent in this trailer. I, I really enjoyed it. As far as the color palette, color palette goes, I, I guess you're correct. Uh, I sort of have gotten used to the Batman Year One color palette being used in uh, these uh, these movies, so I won't have anything to say about that. But I, I enjoyed I, – I really liked Batman in the Batmobile when he goes like, you know, my turn. And he just starts shooting everything. I like that against the Parademons. This was the first time I've seen anything, whether it be still footage or moving footage, of Cyborg and where I cared. Because every time I've seen Cyborg before, I was like, ugh. I didn't like the way it looked. This time, is there was something about what he did and the way he moved and the way he talked. I liked it. I was like, okay, I might get into Cyborg. This is pretty cool. Uh, you know, Daniel Cynical Adams and I were sending some texts back and forth a little bit about it the other night. And, and I, we were sort of commenting how, it, at least for me, I actually had a hard time in the trailer distinguishing between Cyborg and the Parademons. And because they're both so shiny. And I was like, I wish it hadn't been that way. But then he made the good point of like, well, you know, it is apocalyptic. You know, if they follow Cyborg's New 52 origin, it is apocalyptic armor, which is like, oh, yeah, OK. So there could be that the thread with the, the Cyborg and the, the Parademons. Uh, I thought Wonder Woman was great. Batman's jokes. Uh, I kind of go back and forth. Like sometimes I don't like my Batman cracking jokes. But uh, Daniel pointed out to me, you know, that that. This Batman does, and that's okay. And you know, I can get aboard with that. There's actually only one thing, and Aquaman, without a doubt, was amazing. Like when he throws that trident and it goes through like three parademons, dunk, dunk, dunk. like that was awesome. Mera was gorgeous, and thank you for the uh, down focused breast cleavage shot right as she swims up. That was awesome. If you did that frame by frame, I love that. Thank you, Zach. Uh, and the only complaint I have about the entire trailer is our buddy Aquaman. 
I, I love seeing him on the on the uh, Batmobile. I love seeing him leap all that. But was it was his dialogue? Like he is this. In, in my mind, you get one of two Aquamans. You either get you know the noble king Regal, or you get the savage angry Aquaman. Instead, we got like the frat boy joking Aquaman. You know, he's like, I can dig it. Like I can dig it. Really? That that doesn't strike me as a guy who lives under the ocean kind of line. And then when he when he lands on the Batmobile and he goes, yeah, I was like, oh, I wish you hadn't done that. So that's look, my only. We can but, look forward to Aquaman merchandise in the finer Hot Topic stores across this country. <laughs> I just, I, I'm sorry to be so picky. I just, I, I, I love the way he looks. I'm totally on board with the Momoa look of Aquaman. I just wish he had better dialogue. That's all. So anyway, all right. So it does look exciting. Uh, I think is this trailer was what we needed to see to make it feel like uh, we, we have the potential of having a very enjoyable movie. So I'm very excited. But before we go any further, we should probably thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, buddy? Okay, well, I already did a Justice League book last week, and we're doing Justice League again, so I didn't feel the need to, to plug a JLA book this time. So instead, because I don't do InStock Trades ads over on TreasuryCast, I'm going to plug over on InStock Trades the Guardians of the Galaxy Marvel Treasury Edition. Nice. This came out today on the day that we were recording this. It reprints Guardians of the Galaxy from 2013, numbers 0.1. Ugh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> and number one, Guardians of the Galaxy 2008, number one, and Rocket Raccoon, number one. Uh, it is 112 pages, various writers and artists. The normal price is $15.99. In-stock trades price is only $9.27, 42% off. It's a Treasury Edition. Marvel's doing Treasury Editions. And Marvel's doing a Treasury Edition in time for the movie. Which is exactly <laughs> something I mentioned on an episode of Treasury Cast that Marvel yes, DC should be doing these. So I really hope this is the first of many that Marvel does these. They got a Spider-Man movie coming out. They got a Thor movie coming out. Do these. So super, super excited. Marvel is doing treasuries again. I could not be more excited. So Guardians of the Galaxy, all new Marvel Treasury Edition. You know, staying in that vein, they've got the Spider-Man movie coming up, and they've got Spider-Man Digest in the grocery stores coming up. There you go. Perfect. Nice. Synergy. Uh, since we are doing a Justice League episode, and we are going to be talking about a certain set of villains, I thought it would be appropriate to plug Justice League International Volume 1 Trade Paperback. This collects Justice League 1 through 6 and Justice League International number 7. If you're not familiar, that's all one series. They changed the name after a few issues. Uh, in this series, we meet the post-crisis, post-legends Justice League, and uh, they fight uh, some terrorists. They fight the Royal Flush Gang. And Booster Gold joins the team. Writers Kevin, uh, Keith Giffen and J.M. DiMatteis, art by Kevin McGuire, Terry Austin, and Al Gordon. I think there may be a podcast out there that discusses these comics. Might be worth checking out. Not sure. Um, you know, check the Googles. You might find it. Page count 192 pages, full color, was $17.99. You can get it for 42% off right now, and you get it for $9.89. And okay, all kidding aside, you guys know this is awesome. You probably already own it anyway, but if you don't, you should. It is phenomenal. If nothing else, for the uh, Royal Flush Gang issue alone. That's a great for- issue. Where Booster joins the team it is so freaking funny. So uh, it's awesome. You wouldn't awesome. punch a woman, would you? Pow! <laughs> 
And I'm so glad I got to discuss it with Mike Gillis for the Justice League International podcast. That was a blast. So, all right, folks, uh, for that and all your uh, trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Go up to the Contact Us area and tell them the Fire and Water podcast sent you. Oof. All right. Well, we talked about Justice League last week. We covered a lot of different stories. You know, we, we did callbacks. We said, here's all the old stories we covered. And we t- and Rob and I picked a couple. Like, Rob did JLA number 94, I think it was. And I did 183 through 185. And as we were going through the chronology, we said, you know, we should really do issues 203 through 205 someday. Guess what? Someday is today. So, Rob, you want to start us off? Yes, absolutely. Justice League of America, number 203, cover dated June 1982, features a fantastic, fantastic cover of the JLA facing the hand of death. It's by George President Dick Giordano. I love the lighting on it. It's got the spooky candle, and there is uh, the Justice League versus the Royal Flesh Gang, and death holds all the cards. Love it, and I love all the Justice League-looking scare and stuff. It is a breathtaking cover, and I'm so glad my boy Firestorm made the cover. It's just great. Speaking of Firestorm, the opening page of this very comic is Aquaman and Firestorm doing doing kind of like a training uh, exercise. The, the name of the story is Shuffle and Deal with Death by Jerry Conway, of course. The art is Don Heck and Romeo Tengal, Ben Oda on letters, Carl Gafford on co- is the colorist, and Lynn Ween is the editor. So basically, said it opens up with Aquaman and Firestorm doing maneuvers. And it says, Firestorm asks why Aquaman asked to meet him here so early in the morning. Aquaman says it's to give the nuclear man some pointers on superheroing, kind of like just like Black Canary did in JLA number 189. Firestorm retorts, thanks, but no thanks. I know all I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Uh, I'm going to, I just bought my boat to live forever. So uh, that puts a grin on Aquaman's face. And then, of course, a bunch of flying fish jump out of the water. It makes Firestorm all discombobulated. And they basically sink him into the water, putting his uh, fire, putting his uh, fiery head out. Aquaman rescues Firestorm, and then he receives a telepathic signal about trouble ahead. They investigate, finding a giant cloud hovering over the water. Firestorm charges headlong into it, (laughs) and is just as quickly hit by something, sending him hurtling out of the cloud. Aquaman then has his octopi friends help uh, help down the giant hovercraft he sees inside the cloud, and he rips his way into it, only to be blasted into unconsciousness as well. Who did it? It's the Jack of Spades. (gasps) <gasps> yes. Also with him is another member of the Royal Flush Gang, Ten, who this, <gasps> time, <laughs> who this time is a woman. Jack makes a move on Ten, who threatens to break Jan's, Jack's hands off if he tries it again. Awkward. The ship, <laughs> makes, the ship makes it all the way to the desert, to the new headquarters of the Royal Flush Gang. And this is one tricked out place, I gotta tell you. <laughs> it's so cool looking. It's absolutely amazing. Here they meet the other members, King, Queen, and their leader, Ace. We then get a brief rundown of how all the Royal Flesh Gang ended up here. Ten was a test pilot who kept finding her achievements belittled by inherent sexism. Jack was a petty thief whose carelessness led to murder. Queen was an actress who couldn't stop hitting the bottle. And King was a bum facing a slow death by cancer. They were all approached by Ace, who offered them a different life if they would join this new team he was putting together. Later, Firestorm and Aquaman are found in some fishermen's nets, and they contact the JLA. Elongated Man sends out a distress signal, and before she can answer, Wonder Woman is attacked and defeated by King. Back at the gang's HQ, Jack's inherent distrust of Ace leads him to spy on him, where he makes a shocking discovery. Ace starts talking to somebody on a computer screen, and he pulls off his face, revealing, yeah. revealing that he is a robot underneath. Coming from the view screen, this person, uh, this disembodied voice talks about how after they destroy the Justice League, they're going to destroy the rest of the Royal Flesh Gang. And that 
is the end of the story to be continued. Woo! I love this story. Uh, I loved it to pieces. Uh, I'm going to go for I guess I'll go for it. We'll just bounce off each other. How's sure, that? go right um, The Aquaman and Firestorm stuff in the beginning is so freaking funny. I mean, especially because, you know, they're obviously our characters who are more invested. But just, I mean, Aquaman literally, well, he doesn't say it. He's thinking it. He goes, he literally thinks that Justice League want to take Firestorm down a peg or two. Mm-hmm. We do. That's just like a total dick move to even think those words. I'm sorry. <laughs> now, he is a bit cocky. I'll give you that. But, I know uh, all I need to know. Right, I know. And I saw that a little differently. I didn't think the fish submerged Firestorm. I think what the fish did was distracted Firestorm. He swooped around him, and he didn't see the giant wave that crashed into him is how I read that. Oh, okay. All right. I see. I could see that. Yeah. Um, but you know what we got out of it that I never noticed until this reread is Firestorm riding a dolphin. When they get back together, they're sitting next to each other, and they're both on dolphins yes, together. Yes, yes. That should be like our our logo. <laughs> Them riding, you know, you and I riding dolphins off into the sunset. <laughs> That's how we're going to retire. <laughs> so I, I've got a lot more to say. But you, what do you got about the opening scene? So well, I, so I love this. I think this is great, and I like the fact that they referenced that Black Canary Firestorm did the same thing in JLA 189. And I mm-hmm. wish they had kept this going. I think it's a, that's a fun idea that you bring in the new hero, and then you get to see the older heroes training the new guy. I, this is really the only two instances of this happening. Uh, and I wish Jerry, wish Jerry had found room to do it more. I think it's really very charming. It's a very X-Men thing to do. Oh, really... yes, very much so, yeah. Yeah, so that would that would have been a lot of fun. Uh, let's see what else. Um, I love that the Coast Guard keeps Aquaman informed of when they're testing special crafts. Like, yep, yep. wow, I mean, th- that guy's like, he's pretty much the Mac Daddy if the Coast Guard's, you know, kind of bowing to him in that. Mm-hmm. Now, when the Royal Flush Gang tech got Aquaman and Firestorm, I, I got to say, that that was their purpose. It's not like Aquaman and Firestorm stumbled into what their nefarious dealings. No, right. it was a trap for Aquaman and Firestorm. It just seems to me like that's a pretty big long shot. I mean, the ocean's 75% of the planet, right? So Aquaman could have been anywhere to get within one mile. That's awful darn likely. <laughs> well, they have sensors or something. I don't know. You never know. It's crazy technology. Clearly, the World Flush Gang has got a lot of money behind them. They clearly do. They clearly do. So, um, I want, there's an issue I want to address, and we're going to kind of touch on it in every issue as we go through it, is the, the sexism themes that are going on. There's a lot of it all through all three issues. And I can't quite put my finger on if Jerry's trying to tell us something or teach us a moral, because it seems like he's trying to teach us a moral at first with Ten's origin. Because Wanda Wayland, I love it, alliteration. Wanda Wayland, you know, they compare her to Chuck Yeager and Hal Jordan. I love that Hal Jordan is accepted as a real person next to Chuck Yeager. That's great. But anyway, when her boss sexually harasses her, and she says, you know, she storms off. She says, "Screw you!" And she gets fired for it. I mean, that's a really mature, sort of important topic to address. And then later on in the book, you get to Wonder Woman being taken out uh, by ten, uh, by Jack. Was it? By I King. can't remember. By King. By King. And that page where he's like crushing her willpower. There's a little feels like a subversive sort of vibe going on on that page. And then later on, there's a lot of stuff where women aren't necessarily treated very well. Like, do you? At, and I realize I'm talking about all three, but do you get a sense that they're, they're trying to tell us something about sexism in this? Well, sure. I mean, Jerry's trying to give this give the story a little more verisimilitude and that, you know, this is this is we're in the 80s now and the, the, we're a full 15 years after the ERA. And so women are in the workforce. But he's Jerry's trying to point out that, you know, just because women are in the workforce, it's not like everything's all, you know, all everything's all roses for them. And you're seeing that this woman, uh, the the one who will become 10 
uh, you know, is this talented pilot, but yet she's still belittled simply because of her sex. So I just think that's just just Jerry giving, you know, planting this story firmly in what was going on in, in the country in nineteen in the seventies and early eighties. Well, then, how do you contrast with that with Wonder Woman being taken out with that full page of like? talking about his charisma and she doesn't want to resist, you know, you don't want to, I mean, it's very suggestive to me. Yeah. I mean, he's using mental powers on her. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I didn't take that as anything necessarily. I mean, he's, he's trying to talk down to her. You're not saying that I'm not saying Jesus, she's not buying it. She doesn't have dialogue. So it's right. not like well, she's she, like, Oh, she you're col- right. King. But she collapses. I mean, yeah. she, she does. She, she, it falls, it falls under his sway. It just, I don't know. It's, I just felt like it was so contradictory. I don't know. It was weird, but either way, going back to 10, um, I got to say it, she's smoking hot. Sorry. Um, it takes a lot of confidence to wear that suit. I got to say, and she pulls it off quite well. And I realize I'm probably sexually harassing her right now at work too, but sorry. Um, I never noticed when she turned around, they actually have a card back on her back. Like yes. the back of a playing card is actually on the back of her costume. Now, it's not on the cover when Perez does the cover. One of the next two covers, she's actually on there, and you see her back. But I, I've never noticed that as a real flush gang that they actually have the back of the playing card on their backs. Yeah, so these outfits are fantastic. Like I said, and their HQ is just amazing. It's just un- – like I, I my mad props to, I guess, Don Heck for designing yeah, it because he's the first one to draw it. I mean – that's that is some crazy. It's like MC Escher crossed with Las Vegas. You know, I mean, it's just insane. I love it. It's really, really cool. And uh, as a kid, when I read this story, because I read this ages ago and I loved it, uh, I always thought of the HQ. Like, if you look at it, it looks like IQ. Like, there's a one mm. and a Q, and it looks like it's trying to say IQ. And as a kid, in my brain, because you know, kids with weird connections, I made a connection that was part of the deal. IQ, like intelligence, was had something to do with that. This creation, mm, okay. I, you know, funny things, kids. I do love the branding though. Like each one of the cards have their own elevator. Like it's specifically their elevator. With, it comes yeah, with down the card as the floor yes. of the elevator. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah, because yeah, they're following the Bruce Wayne school of branding. You know, it's it's so it's so critical. And then all right, I got another question here too about Wonder Woman. So. First of all, she can fly from Washington to LA in thirty minutes. That's pretty impressive. But uh, again. Traps. We talked about the Aquaman and Firestorm trap that they got caught in. Wonder Woman gets caught in a trap. They're ready for her to come visit them in the hospital, right, in L.A. How did the king see her coming? What is she flying? She's flying her invisible jet, of course. And a couple pages, a couple panels later, she's landing, and no one sees it. They're just like, where did this strong wind come from? So how did King see her? I, that's a good question. Like I said, maybe he's got – I mean, you know, we know that uh, there, there's something more nefarious behind the Royal Flush Gang, so maybe they've got some sort of technology that's enabled them to do this. I mean, you know, it might not be that hard to track where these heroes are coming from. Maybe they knew where – maybe he knew where Wonder Woman was at the beginning. He was just tracking her the whole time. Could be. Could be. And, and, and while I'm poking these holes at it, just know it's coming from a place of love. I mean, I truly love this story, but i just trying to read it with the most as, – as Chris Franklin has been saying a lot lately, it's like a, you, you do a podcast for a show and suddenly you see things you never noticed before in a plot. <laughs> I've never did, thought about any of these problems in the 30 years <laughs> I've had these comics, so thank you, Shaq. No problem. I did love Wonder Woman karate chopping that flying card out of the air. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. She's like, wow. And it's like this giant sheet of metal splits open and all the mechanics inside. Are like, wow. Now, my last comment here is how interesting is this cliffhanger? Because it's unlike almost any comic book cliffhanger I've ever read. Because the cliffhanger is not about the trouble for the Justice League. The cliffhanger is the bad guys are in trouble. Yeah. 
that's the cliffhanger is that the bad guys are going to be killed. And it's like, that's it. That, that's not something you, they usually, you know, leave you hanging on. That's very unusual. So I, I yeah. thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, I love that last panel of, of Jack just looking like, what? Like, just terrible. Because, yeah. I mean, they, they set up that, you know, this is not, the, this is not a tightly knit group. These are five very disparate people, and they don't trust each other. They don't particularly like one another. So they're setting all that up that, you know, which will pay off in the third chapter of the story, that, you know, they're, they're, there's no loyalty here among them. Five people working together, disparate personalities, don't really get along. Oof. Cisco is going to pull his mask off and be a robot it's someday, awkward. isn't he? It's very awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Now, they made a reference like one of those, like, see issue so-and-so. Is this really only the third appearance of the Royal Flush Gang? I, you know, I, I, I should go to Mike's Amazing World, look it up, but maybe so, yeah. Because they, they said they talk about their first appearance in JLE, like, 45 or whatever it was. Yeah, 43 and, 43 and 56. Yeah, maybe this was it. Man, that's amazing. Like, jump all they, they weren't seen from issue 56 to issue 203? Wow. That's hmm. just sort of a, you know, Justice League's really good about recycling villains, so that's pretty surprising. So yeah, I always, I always like these characters. I thought yeah. they, were, they were cool, you know, like their visual, the whole bit. I always thought they were really cool. So, yeah, that's kind of amazing that you won 150 issues without the Royal Flush Gang. And then they appeared in no other DC comics. That's, that's kind of right. Nice. So I think it's fair to say that if the uh, if Gardner Fox hadn't created the Royal Flush Gang sooner or later, in the same theory that you know, put monkeys on typewriters, they'll eventually type Shakespeare. Follow that same theory, and it's fair to say that if he hadn't created the Royal Flush Gang, Mike W. Barr would have. I for was the about to say that yes, he would have eventually gotten around to it. <laughs> Him and his, he loved his themed themed teams. So. Yes, he did, and that's a compliment. I'm not knocking it. So yeah, cool. Now, did you want to say something about Don Heck? Uh, okay, yeah, art-wise, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, I don't, I, I mean, obviously, broken record. This would have been great if George Perez had done it. And because we'll see, the, we get the covers, which are amazing. Um, I think the story's perfectly fine. I, Don Heck was not my favorite run of his on his, you know, I've seen other work of his that I liked a lot more than he did on Justice League. But it, it's good. It's sort of, you know, it's, again, I'm damning with faint praise. It's fine. It doesn't ruin the story for me. It would have been, I think this might have been like a classic, classic, if uh, Perez or, or somebody like that had done it. But that's not where we are. But nevertheless, he does a, he does a decent job here. I, I actually like his figure work. I think it's pretty good. Uh, I, I enjoy it quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, you can't compare anything to Perez in the early 80s. It's not. It's a completely unfair comparison. But let's compare it instead to say, um, well, you know what, let's say a Dick Dillon. Which which would you think would have been more um, dynamic, energetic? Uh, Dylan. I mean, I grew up on him, so I can't really look at him sort of, uh, you know, fa- fairly. Not without rose-colored glasses, kind of. Okay. You know? so, All right. I, 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 like I, I said, it's it's. I think Hex layouts are fine. His storytelling is very clear. Uh, he's got. He does have some great moments here. I love it when uh, Aquaman rips open the hull of the ship. Like I think that's a great bit you know like he, he's able to convey that really well so you know he did some he did some nice stuff here and he actually got for for a rel, for his relatively brief run he actually got to draw aquaman quite a bit because mm-hmm. he was he drew the five-part team up in with the all-star squadron and he did all of that so you know there's like a lot of aquaman by don heck so maybe you know i'm a little more partial to it maybe even than i than i think just because he drew my favorite character so much now, in general, um, using that same comparison I asked you, Don Heck versus D- Dick Dillon, I think I prefer Dick Dillon. But looking at this, I think this might be a little more exciting and dynamic and sexy women. Sorry. Uh, I think Don Heck is a better way around sexy women than Dick Dillon did. But um, I think this might be a little more dynamic than Dick's would have been. 
Not to say that the character like it's. It, it, I think it would have been like maybe some of the character work would have been a little stronger with uh, Dylan, but I I kind of like the the way the action flows in this stuff. So it, know, it, I occur- like it. it occurs to me just as you're saying that we never actually got to see Dick Dylan draw the Royal Flush Gang because mm. Dick, Dick Dylan wasn't doing the book uh, at JLA number fifty six, and then he wasn't doing the book here. So his whole run was completely missed by the Royal Flush Gang. Hmm. By the way, I looked it up. The mm-hmm. Royal Flush Gang did have two other appearances. Okay. Uh, they appeared in Joker, uh, number oh. yeah. That when Joker had his own series, because that was a mm-hmm. thing. They appeared in Joker number four. <laughs> that was a smart idea. Let's smart give idea. a comic yeah. to a serial killer. Yeah, uh, they uh, they appeared in Joker number five, and then they appeared in Wonder Woman number two fifty six. But in terms yeah. of their Justice League appearances, that was their last appearance. Was number fifty six. Okay. All right. Very cool. All right. Why don't we move on to 204? All right. So we've got 204, which is, of course, July 1982. The cover is by George Perez. Amazing. It's the JLA versus the Royal Flush Gang outside their headquarters. No scene like this happens, but who cares? It's so beautiful. It's just, it's got every per thing that people love about Perez, all the crazy angles, all the detail, just the amount of effort he put into this. It's just extraordinary. You've got Green Arrow shooting at 10. You've got Queen zapping Superman. You've got Ace just kind of flying around on his card going, uh, King, um, Jack is pasting Elongated Man 1, and Black Canary is trying to hold on to King's card. It's a great, wonderful cover. It really is breathtaking. I mean, I love, you know, Elongated Man really sort of like the way he stretches out all over the thing. And they did manage, <laughs> George Perez is never going to miss a chance to put a butt shot in there. He got a butt shot for both uh, Black Canary and Ten. That's funny. Um, and just seeing Superman get laid out. And I love I love it whenever Green Arrow's arrows are doing something cool. Like they've got that trademark Perez explosion, mm-hmm. you know, with the, the way those little black puffy parts are. And it's, it is a, uh, the cover, it's just all out action with, and yes, the cover is absolute all out action. It looks great. Great stuff. So this story is called The Cut of the Cards, again by Jerry Conway, Heck, Tangal, Oda, Gafford, and Ween. It opens with Superman at the circus where he's entertaining children by juggling elephants. <laughs> One of the reasons we don't have circuses anymore. Afterwards, <laughs> afterwards, he is met by Lois Lane who grabs him and plants a passionate kiss on him. Much more passionate than usual. Before Superman can realize what's up, no pun intended, Lois reveals herself to be... Qu- Lois reveals herself to be Queen, who blasts Superman with some sort of scepter. Up at the JLA satellite, the elongated man is trying to keep track of all these attacks on his fellow teammates, and soon Green Arrow and Black Canary arrive. Ralph and Canary head down to Earth after the argument of Green Arrow, who wants to go with Black Canary, of course. And he find, they find an unconscious Wonder Woman, and they take her to the same hospital where Aquaman and Firestorm are. They are all in comas, with very little brain activity showing up on scans. Green Arrow, still up on the satellite, is shocked when he sees a strangely dressed woman appear outside in space. He goes to investigate, and she blasts her way in, chasing him. He says, at one point, uh, he says, now I recognize the costume. You're one of the Royal Flush Gang, uh, but last time uh, I fought Ten was a man. Yes, Green Arrow, Ten is now a woman. Very, very perceptive, Ollie. Very perceptive. <laughs> now, i got to say, it's pretty obvious why Ollie lets her in, right? I mean, right. It, didn't miss a beat why he opened the, wind, the right. airlock for her. Not because she might be suffocating, but because he he's, noticed she was a woman. He's thinking, he's thinking with his arrows, we know. So anyway, <laughs> ten, 10 catches up to Arrow and blasts him into a coma the way the others are. 
Meanwhile, Canary and Ralph are investigating the manufacturer behind the trading card components found near each of the scenes. The trail leads to Megaform Industries, and they have to bluff their way onto the company's compound. Luckily, Black Canary is the one doing the persuading to the guard. She flashes him a thousand-watt smile, and he lets her in because she's Black Canary, of course. Mm-hmm. So, and there's a great footnote by Len Wein, because the, the, uh, the guard says, Folks in the colony get weirder every day. And there's the, the, uh, the little footnote, it's Malibu Colony, that is, laid back Len. So, I've never heard of Malibu Colony no, before. Yeah, it gives, gives a kind of a weird, slightly sinister cast to it, but okay. But anyway, <laughs> Black Canary, Black Canary and, uh, and one gay man sneak around, grab some normal clothes, and find their way into the company's president, Derek Reston. Once they enter the room, Reston goes insane and attacks the two of them, raving about how they are, how they are two of the hated Justice League. They manage to subdue him, and after he wakes up, he is totally calm and has no memory of what just happened. What's going on here? It's here we see the ghostly image of Hector Hammond bragging about how all of this is his plan, and Reston is only doing his bidding <gasps> to be continued. Dun, dun, dun. So, another fun, fun issue. I, I, you beat me to the punch with the uh, the circus joke. I was saying same kind of thing. It's like, and people feel bad for, you know, the circus is being closed down. This is exactly why. You're right. This is when Justice League was sued by PETA. <laughs> now, uh, I want to bring up the feminism issue again, okay? Because two instances. First of all, Black Canary's flirting. She's using her feminine wiles. And that, be, you know, being written by a man, that could make you go, eh, is that really... And then Green Arrow... Loses his crap and says Superman was beat by a femme. Like he's like totally upset that Superman got beat by a woman. Again, I feel like there's some sort of agenda here that I can't interpret. I, I find it interesting that Jerry Conway, who and I'm not, this isn't, uh, I don't know, I'm not telling turns out of school. You can read his Twitter feed and find this out. Jerry is Jerry is very liberal. Jerry is oh, yeah. very very liberal guy. And yet he always wrote Green Arrow, who is, of course, famous, like the most famous superhero liberal, as like the biggest jerk in the world. <laughs> like he always <laughs> like, it's very fair to write Green Arrow. Is not like I may I may line up perfectly with most of Green Arrow's political beliefs, but I don't think I'd want to hang out with the guy because he sounds like a giant <laughs> pain in the ass. You know, and he is definitely a sexist. I mean, he's you know, yeah. he has very retrograde attitudes towards women, despite the fact that he's all like Captain Liberal. And, you know, we don't get an whole argument about that. But I always thought that was interesting that that Jerry seemed to write Green Arrow as not somebody you'd really want to hang out with. Well, I mean, as a bit of a liberal myself, maybe a moderate, but either way, I, I know people that are liberals that just are completely insufferable and hard to sure, be around. Yeah, well, you, well, people that are just humorless and can't drop it for two seconds, no matter what it is, no matter what their belief system is, not even about politics, just about anything. There are some people who just can't not talk about anything else except their pet thing, and that's very difficult to deal with. Yeah, I'm waiting for the realization to hit. Keep going. You'll get it sooner or later. <laughs> anyway. I just don't like the Transformers, okay? Is that all right? <laughs> so, uh, now I will say the trap for Superman this time, you know, where uh, Queen was there ready to take him out. This was the first trap that I bought worked because he had a scheduled appearance. She knew he was going to be there. The lowest angle was very clever. So I, I feel like this trap was clever and worked out quite well. Uh, I do love that Green Arrow doesn't, he wants to go Black Canary, but he gets caught up in Justice League bureaucracy that, you know, oh no, you know, elongated man's got to punch his shift out. It's now Green Arrow's turn, so he can't go help his girlfriend. You do not want to fudge your time cards because Batman checks that stuff. <laughs> Um, excuse me, Firestorm. It says here that you were gone for a half hour, but really it's forty-five minutes. So. Why does Batman talk like that? Well, that's when he's wearing his green visor, the bad oh, okay. visor. <laughs> right? Yes. Okay. All right. 
I like that Firestorm is laying in a, a an asbestos bed, which is great because that shows that Firestorm's and, and it melts a stethoscope. Firestorm's heat, fire, Firestorm's fire is actually generating heat, which later on Jerry Conway would go go on to say that it doesn't actually generate any heat; it's just a visual uh, illusion. But uh, here it is actually generating heat. So I like that. That's it's like that's one right. of those uh, Duraflame locks. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> that joke gets funnier the more I think about it. Um, now, elongated man. Supposed to be like one of the greatest detectives in the world, right? You know, right behind Batman and Sherlock Holmes, you get elongated man pretty much. So how come when he's investigating this debris, he does not notice, as we do the audience, the giant K and the giant spade on the wreckage? How does he miss that? Mm. At, at no point does he go like, hmm, I think the, uh, the Royal Flush King might be involved in this run. Maybe he's not the third greatest detective. Maybe you're giving him a little <laughs> too much credit. Could be. His nose didn't wiggle or anything. <laughs> so what did you think of the issue? Oh, no, I think it's terrific. I mean, I, I love this whole story, which is why I wanted to talk about it. But, I mean, the way it lays out, it brings in all the members. I mean, of course, you had to have basically – you had to have Superman or Batman in every Justice League story. So if, if Superman doesn't show up in part one, he's eventually going to show up in part two, which, of course, he does here. But he gets a – he's given a relatively small part, which I like because I like the other heroes. Uh, one little character beat, though. I love it when, when Queen is pretending to be Lois. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, if you won't kiss me, then I'll do the honors. And she grabs Superman's head and drags it into hers. So she, mm-hmm. And first of all, how can Lois do that? Because doesn't Superman, like, you know, isn't he the Man of Steel? Like, I would imagine he, she can't move his head at all. It, if he chooses, if to, he chooses, resist. chooses to resist. <laughs> so anyway, but then the next panel, after the, yep. the big passage smooch, mm-hmm. Superman goes, eh, Lois, you never. I'm like, oh, poor Clark. Because <laughs> now we get a little insight to their sex life. Is that fairly, Lois is pretty passive. And it's, okay. Superman doesn't like that. Can we, if we, I'm going to spoil ahead a bit then, because you just hit one of my plot points here. Is okay in the next issue, the same bit is going to happen again, right? Where she, where Queen poses as, we'll just, I mean, I'm spoiling it. She poses as Sue Dibney, and she kisses Elongated Man, right? And he realizes the moment they kiss as well. Yeah. So what I'm wondering is. What's the deal with the kissing? Is she just a really bad kisser? Is she a little, like a clumsy tongue? I, th- I think she's a really good one. Oh, man. <laughs> I, think, I think that's what Superman's reaction is. Usually you don't use so much tongue lows. Yeah, you're like, I think that's what it all, is. Yeah. Getting me all hot and bothered. Same thing with Sue then as well, I suppose. I thought maybe or maybe her, just her breath reeked like booze because, you know, that's that character's shtick as she's a drunk. But uh, I just thought it was very funny. Like, what is she doing wrong with the kissing? I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, ever since I was a kid, I was like, oh, she's doing something right. She's a bad girl. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Good to know. Now, was, um, was she supposed to be based on somebody? Her name made me think, of, like, is she supposed to be Liza Minnelli or something? Or because her name's Mona something or other. No, I was Jerry, like, Jerry hmm. liked those names that were kind of, you know, spins of the dial of famous people. So, yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it sounds like a kind of famousy name. Uh, art wise, uh, I'm, you know, so I'm kind of medium on Don Heck, but I do want to single out a panel that I really love. Page 14, where Green Arrow is just killing time in the satellite. Panel two, where he hears the tap tap on the screen. That is a wonderful little three-quarter portrait of Green Arrow's face. I love hmm. it. I can't even know. I don't. I can't really tell you why. There's just something. It's got a lot of character to it. I the middle really, panel. Yeah, that middle little panel where he goes okay. tap tap. I just. I don't know. I can look at that. It's just a great little face that he drew. I love it. So I. I like that. Um, it is funny that said Green Arrow was already sick of the league bylaws when he just rejoined at number two hundred. 
Yeah, he like, quit recently when Firestorm yeah, joined, yeah, and then he, quit, he rejoined. He, yeah, he quits in 181, and he came back at 200, and now it's 204, and he's already like, oh, this sucks. Like, he's never happy with this guy. Uh, so I like the idea that Black Canary uses her feminine wiles to get in because she could just karate chop the guy. But I like mm-hmm. that they don't do that. They use, you know, detective work. I've been talking about that in the comments over on Nightcast where, mm-hmm. you know, I like the 80s Batman where Batman was a detective. That he used his brains to get stuff done as opposed to, well, I can just break this guy's face. No, he actually doesn't want to do that. And I like that Black Canary doesn't resort to that. So I think that yeah. was a nice thing. Uh, and I love the bringing in of Hector Hammond. I think that's yes. you don't see that coming. You're like, oh wow, this is you know normally the world flesh gang of the bad guys, and now we got a whole other guy to worry about. So that's really cool. And then one final little bit of detail on the letters page, there is a letter from a guy named Brent Almond. Brent okay. is a future member of Foam. He is a <gasps> no long way. time, yes, yeah, long time Foam member. I emailed him and said, "Is this you?" And he says, "That is him." So he got a letter. Uh, commenting on issue number 196. So that's a future friend, Brent Allman. That's the awesome. I was, page. I was stalking the letters pages, looking for like a little Russell Burbage right, letter or right, something yeah, like that. Too, you yeah. know? <laughs> you never know it what is fair to say. I'm sorry, what? You never know what names are going to pop up. Right, or Tom Zoller, or things like that. So it is nice to say, because Tom Zoller's name shows up in the Firestorm letter column quite a bit. But it's uh, it's nice to see that uh, in the next issue we covered, and uh, it's the letters page, all the letters are about JLA 200. Yep. I, I know a guy who likes that comic a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, folks, we are going to take a quick podcast promo break, play a commercial for some of our friends, including, I think it's fair to say, Rob, an important trailer you need to listen to about JL May 2017. Okay. Yep. Now I just made Rob have to do that. Yeah, geez, uh, I guess I'm playing that one then. Okay. <laughs> well, you can play two. You can play something else. Jeez. And then when we come... Out. And then when we come back, we're going to do issue number 205, and we're going to do some of your listener feedback from last episode. I'm Diablo Frank, and I've been a fan of the Amazing Amazon for my entire life. To be truthful, I'm not a typical fan of the Paradise Island set. I'm not big on mythology, and I'm highly critical of the most popular Themyscirin stories. I like it when Wonder Woman loses her powers and hangs out with a tiny, blind Asian martial arts master named Ai Ching. Or when she works at Taco Bell and helps collect child support for a co-worker from a deadbeat mafioso dad. Or when she rides around on kangaroo ponies from outer space and is a little too into bondage and spanking for the squares. Wonder Woman is great, but I really miss Diana Prince. The reminder that the heroine feels and fails and bleeds like the rest of us. That's why I call my podcast about her Diana Prince Wonder Woman. Because I like to remember there's a woman behind all that wonder. And I'd like to talk about her if you care to listen on iTunes, Shout Engine, and the Internet Archive. end of the world is approaching. Soon the planet will be engulfed in a nuclear Armageddon, and the only people that can prevent this from happening are considered to be the greatest villains of all time. The only thing standing in their way is the Justice League. In 2005, uh, wait a second. Are, are we sure about that date this time? Yeah, it's 2005. We're sure this time. Let's just be perfectly clear. I hate all of you so much. Okay, good. Got that. All right. In 2005, DC Comics began publishing a 12-issue bi-monthly comic called Justice. Written by Jim Kruger with art by Alex Ross and Doug Braithwaite, this series was essentially a super friends for adults. And now another group of super friends has come together 
to discuss all 12 issues in a podcasting crossover called J.L. May 2017. The excitement begins on the April 30th episode of the Fire and Water podcast and continues into Supermates, the Idle Head of Diabolu podcast, Views from the Longbox, the Pulp to Pixel podcast, the Lantern cast, the Shazam cast, Comic Reflections, the Silver and Gold podcast, the Power of Fishnets, Waiting for Doom, and Justice's First Dawn, J.L. May. 2017. Last year, they covered the beginning of the Justice League. This year, they discuss and review the League's toughest battle. The coverage begins on April 30th on the Fire and Water Podcast, located at fireandwaterpodcast.com. And we're back, and we are going to cover Justice League of America number 205, one of my single favorite issues of this run, and you'll know why very, very soon. Cover dated April 1982, uh, and the cover is another George Perez cover, and it is gorgeous, ladies and gentlemen. It has got uh, the Justice League all laying, and the bottom half is the Justice League are all laying on a big hospital bed. It's almost orgy-like, but they're all unconscious. Uh, it's like maybe the next morning, because they're all, you know, you got Black Canary laying in the bed very voluptuously. you got Wonder Woman on the bed. Well, see, the girls get the bed. The boys are all strewn all over the place, unconscious, bandaged up. They're clearly all knocked out in this hospital room. And floating above them in astral form is Hector Hammond battling Professor Martin Stein. And the quote says, Hector Hammond's out to destroy the JLA, and the only one who can stop him is Professor Martin Stein, which is just awesome. I mean, what a great Firestorm moment. I've often talked about on this show, if you guys don't remember, that Professor Stein is my favorite part of the Firestorm Matrix. I love that this middle-aged guy steps up and becomes a hero when is needed, and this issue he definitely does. So, I'm excited. All right. Uh, Well, well, you know, I commented every time about the coverage. What's your feelings on the cover? Oh, it's terrific. It's terrific. I remember buying this off the stands. It's it's. Colorful. It's got all the heroes in a death-defying situation, and Martin's. Yeah, no, it's it's like a classic superhero cover. You would absolutely drop your sixty cents on this uh, if you saw it on the stands. Yeah, because I mean, like you said, it's got the classic heroes. It's got it does. I mean, it's got some sex appeal. Uh, it does between with the drawing of Black Canary and Wonder Woman, the way they're positioned. It's got the what the heck factor with the Martin Stein piece of it. So oh, so awesome. I actually own. Uh, I think three copies of this comic, two of which are actually signed, one by Perez, one by John, Jerry Conway, and both of them were sent to me kindly enough by Pete, listeners of this show. So you guys are the absolute best in the world. So, all right, let's get to that recap, folks. Now, uh, for the recap, I took the time to write this myself entirely by hand. Um, so as you're going through it, I'd like you to really appreciate the prose and the way I structured it and the way I put it together because it's all original. I didn't lift any of it from anywhere on the internet, not even a JLA satellite blog run by some nerd that is bald and I might be talking to you right now, but that's not the case. So, all right. The final hand by Jerry Conway, Don Heck and Romeo Tengal. Black Canary and elongated man arrive back at the JLA satellite to find a comatose green arrow, but 10 is still there and tries to get the drop on them. It almost works, but Black Canary is so pissed off that she lets loose her canary cry, knocking 10 out. 
Green Arrow is added, unfortunately, to the list of patients at the UCLA Medical Center. An elongated man notices a similarity to the loss of brain function that JLAers are suffering and what happened with Derek Redson last issue, how he lost his mind. Hmm, might be a connection. We then see Firestorm's other identity, Martin Stein, as he's, you know, it's the floating head, uh, the astral head, as he's desperately trying to wake up his other half. Uh, it's only Stein that knows the real villain behind all this is Hector Hammond, since they both exist on the same astral plane. Ten is also at the hospital being questioned by our heroes, and when she almost reveals the big plan, Hammond goes ballistic and induces an attack that shuts down her brain. Meanwhile, Batman and the Flash have been called in and are heading to the desert with Canary and Ralph to find the Royal Flush Gang's HQ, which is a tip that she uh, provided, uh, Ten provided to them. And like Superman with Lois Lane in the previous issue, Ralph is temporarily fooled by this image of his wife Sue, and they get some smoochy-smoochy, and then he's zapped by the Queen. Uh, they wind their way through this giant maze and end up getting attacked by the Royal Flush Gang, and unfortunately our heroes are defeated. They wake up strapped to these giant playing cards, which Ace blasts into the sky. You know, it kind of reminds me of that uh, Joker's birthday story we did in the Digest cast recently. <laughs> anyway, uh, Ace is ecstatic of his victory over the JLA, and finally, though, Jack has had enough. Jack reveals the truth about Ace, who, who uh, that he's a robot, and Ace doesn't bother to deny it, and now says the rest of the gang are disposable now that the League has been smashed. And Ace suddenly explodes. What? How, how did that happen? Well, he is the victim of Black Canary's canary cry. Jack ended up, turns out he cut a deal with Black Canary. If he saves them, they save uh, uh, Jack from Ace. Hmm. Unfortunately, the jailers are still in a coma, and Hammond reveals his evil plan to steal the brain energy from the Justice Leaguers, taking it for himself, which also would allow his corporeal form, his human body, to move again. This drives Martin Stein to create a body for himself on the astral plane. No more is he a floating head. He's got arms and legs, and he jumps into action against Hammond, all punchy-punchy style. Stein manages to beat up Hammond, who backs down like a little twerp, I mean totally like no, please stop! And he releases the jailers out of his coma. Firestorm wonders why Martin Stein is so happy, and Stein promises to tell him later. At that moment, the JLA is wondering why Firestorm is talking to himself. <laughs> so, there we go. That was issue 205. I'm imagining you actually sat there on your website and followed along to see if I read it word for word, didn't you? I have it committed to memory. I didn't need to do that. <laughs> so, folks, yes, about uh, 93% of that was Rob's writing. There was a little bit of me in there, too. So, That's why, but, uh, that's why it floats so well. I guess so. It floats like a butterfly, stings like a bee. What did you think of this issue? It's great. I mean, I love this whole story. I think everything's right. Bringing in Hector Hammond, making Martin Stein be the guy that sort of fixes it all is great. Uh, I like uh, – we finally got Batman involved. I like the bat, the little detail of Batman where they go to the Royal Flush Gang's hideout, and there's those giant poster face cards, yes. drawings of themselves. And Batman goes, sporting pictures of the Royal Flush Gang. Sheer egotism. This is the guy that puts bat on every single friggin' thing that he owns, and they're, they're you know, yet, yet it's, you know, those guys are the ego egotists. And puts uh, his costumes on display in display yeah, cases exactly. in his cave. Exactly. <laughs> so I dug all that stuff. I mean, I thought it's terrific. I, I also, the detail when we see um, how Hector Hammond got freed is because a rat chewed through <laughs> the power cable that was keeping right. him under stasis. Like, I love the idea that, like, this is such a shithole, this place, that nobody's even noticed <laughs> that he's not hooked up to anything. Like, he's just sitting there, you know, that's a great – I don't know if that's Jerry's comment about, like, the, in, in, you know, the uh, industrial prison <laughs> system that we've got going on in this country. <laughs> the uh, – what is it? Prisoner industrial complex or whatever you want to call it. Uh, no, I think it's it's great. I like um, Black Canary and Elongated Man parachuting in. Like, that's kind of like old James Bondy things. We never it's see great. that. 
you know, in comic, like in superheroes that, that don't fly, they just get places. Right. You know, they're just there with all the other heroes. We actually see them parachuting in like it's James Bond. I thought that was great. Yeah, the thing that Ralph loves Sue so much that he temporarily loses his mind when he thinks it's Sue. Like his, his own, you know, you think he'd be smart enough to say Sue Divney's not here. That's not Sue. Well, she says they caught me too, honey. So, I mean, it's it's very believable. I know, but you figure he would be like, wait a minute. But that's how much he loves Sue. Is that it, hey, that he, I, it gets him for the moment. I love Sue that much too. It's, yeah, they're 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 very cool. You know, it's funny. We were just talking about on Film and Water in the comments about the Elongated Man miniseries that they did in the '90s. That one that Mike Powerback drew. Yes, that was terrific. That's another one of those things. So uh, no, I think it's a great conclusion. I like the Jack betrays them. I think that's a great turn that he that he conspires with Black Canary. And there's a great little moment uh, again. Kind uh, of compliment uh, Don Heck here. Page twenty. When Jack finally announces the plan and he says, I didn't know that robots could enjoy themselves. And there's just this single panel that's going, robot? What are you saying, Jack? Now, behind him are these blood red card symbols. You see the spade mm-hmm. and the heart. Now, that's literally what's on the background in the, in the base. But it mm-hmm. looks kind of abstract. And I, I kind of like it. It looks, it just looks, uh, there's something very, there, there, I don't know. I can't even say exactly what it is I like about it. It just looks more metaphorical. I know it isn't, but it looks it. Like there's just this moment of like, we're seeing these blood red symbols behind the, the, the head bad guy, just as the jig is about to be uh, revealed to be up. So I like, <laughs> that. I like that little panel. It's a cute little thing. I, I like the panel at the top of the page in the top right-hand corner where Ace is flipping the switch and he's got like one eyebrow up and he's like, <laughs> it's like very maniacal. I, I, just, I, Don Heck really drew the heck out of, drew the heck, oh God, wow, no pun intended, but I do like it. I do like that pun though. Uh, he drew the heck out of this issue. He really did. It's good. And, oh, and the, 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 the bit in the end where they're all waking up and Jack is, puts his hands on Black Canary's hips. Yes. And uh, he's like, you're all your old man's out of action. How about if I – and she's like, I'll break your arm. And then she <laughs> goes and, and Green Arrow wakes up and she snuggles with him and poor Jack is standing there. Looks like the Jack's turn to be trumped and he isn't even part of the deck. I like uh, that he, He's got like a little phrase about himself as opposed to <laughs> – that's happened to me in life. I would just sit there and be quiet. I wouldn't actually have like a funny phrase. I would just I th- well, I think you get trumped a lot. But um, anyway, um, that was a different kind of joke. But uh, – <laughs> Now, now, the sexism stuff in this issue is a little more straightforward. Uh, obviously, Jack hitting on Black Canary was in the wrong. Um, later on, when one of the bad guys is yelling, he tells us he doesn't want to hear a babbling female, which is, again, another, another you know, clearly the bad guy is in the wrong, says these kind of things. And then when Ten, I think it was Ten, it was Ten or Queen gets attacked, someone calls her a girl, and she says, not a girl, a woman. So the standing up for women's rights is much more clear cut in this one. It seems like they've got a direction with it this time and they're trying to make a point. So that, that, this was easier to get on board with than some of the other stuff for me. Yeah, it's great. It's the whole thing. It's just a really solid superhero adventure. And this was, this was right in the stretch of JLA that that this is my JLA more than any other era, this whole period. These are the stories that I love and return to over and over again. I think they're just delightful. You mentioned the Elongated Man miniseries earlier. I cut you off a little bit. I didn't mean to. Uh, if I remember, wasn't that Parabek and Ty Templeton together? Something like that. I mean, which is just great series. Un- I mean, those two together is just unbelievable. It's and it's a fun thing they go. They deal with Sonar, and it's about uh, Ralph and Sue. And I think we may have to cover that on a, on a Justice League International podcast at some point. Maybe one of those Meanwhile episodes because that's super fun and right on our wheelhouse. So yeah, good great stuff. Story. 
Um, I like Elongated Man at one point. He, he says a Steve Martin line. He goes, well, excuse <laughs> me, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. Um, it, I, I actually like I, I started liking Jack because, you know, Jack's been he's not a protagonist, but he's definitely been a lead character. We've been allowed to get inside his head throughout this whole story. And here he, you know, betrays the bad guys to help the Justice League. And it's almost like, you know, that would have been an interesting thing to set him up like a. I don't know, like a privateer or star czar, sort of yes. like a supporting yes. character that could have come around. That would have been kind of cool. Yeah, I don't think he, anything was ever done with him. I think this is his sole three appearances or, or these three stories. But, yeah, that would have been an interesting angle to do something else yeah. with him. Yeah. And then finally, Professor Stein, of course, he saves the entire Justice League, which was incredible. If, if he'd just done this earlier in the episode, we could have skipped a lot of this, by the way. But anyway, he saves the Justice League, and he does it in one and a half pages. And, uh, you know, it's funny, it, like, Stein is beating the shaz out of Hector Hammond, just punching the mess out of him. And one could argue that Stein is not a typically violent guy. And Stein does address it in the dialogue. But, you know, if you think about it, though, he's been Firestorm for a few years now. And even though he's sort of the onboard observer, he, it's still partially him, though. I mean, Firestorm is still his body doing stuff. So when Firestorm gets physical, Stein is getting physical a little bit with it. And so I think, it, you know, you could you could no prize that into saying it's okay. Uh, and I hope in the end, uh, Stein did eventually tell the JLA about Hammond. He said, no, maybe not right now, but uh, because otherwise Hammond's still free to do whatever the hell he wants. <laughs> so super fun comics. Absolutely loved them. Uh, I'm so glad you suggested we do this, Rob. This was an absolute blast. Thank you so much. Yeah, these are great stuff. And one final thing, this, uh, as we mentioned, uh, the letters page for this issue has letters on JLA number 200. It features four letters. All of them are raves because of course they are. Uh, Dominic Romano writes in, he says, Jelly number 200 is without a doubt the best comic I have ever bought or read. I'm there with you, Dominic. Absolutely. Uh, he doesn't say the single greatest piece of literature in, in well, Western civilization. But. I mean, you know, we all have our own ways of expressing our love for this comic. Uh, somebody does point out, the two different letters point out that it's a shame that Hawkgirl couldn't have been involved. And that is the only minus mm. of Jelly number 200. Is that Hawkgirl's not involved, and that's because Jerry used that as an excuse that she was away in the Hawkman strip over in World's Finest. But I, I, I'm giving Jerry a pass on that. It's okay. Hey, considering how good that comic is, yes, it's fair enough. Exactly. But uh, so yeah, I was very happy to see that everybody loved JLE 200 the way I did. So super cool. Awesome. Well, folks, uh, definitely share your thoughts on these issues. Go out to our website, uh, fireandwaterpodcast.com. Go up to the shows, find the Fire and Water Podcast, or Aquaman and Firestorm show, and go out there and let us know your thoughts on this show because your comments are so very important to this show. And, Rob, uh, they can see some pictures from these issues, too. Where would they find those? Uh, on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. And we'll have a uh, accompanying gallery post for this podcast, and you can see all the images from these three comics. We'll definitely share the covers. We'll pick out a few selected uh, images for you guys to see. Again, please leave your feedback. Feedback is so incredibly important and really, I mean, you guys are a vital part of this show. In fact, last week we did an episode about Justice League where we talked about, you know, Firestorm and Aquaman sort of history with the league. And um, we got some great feedback and we thought, you know what, let's just do a little mean, mini feedback. So we just pulled the comments from our website. That's all we did. And we're going to take a couple minutes to sort through those. And uh, thank you guys for commenting. So, Rob, you want to kick us off? Yes, uh, Shag is right. You guys are a absolutely vital part of the show. But before we get to that, I'm going to read a letter from David S. Gutierrez. He says, <laughs> uh, he says, Green Arrow had a Tijuana Bible? Question mark. Yes, he did. I've seen panels from it, David. 
Uh, I have to disagree with Shag's dislike of the Beastmen arc. I must admit that my contention is rooted in the fact that JLA 223 was my very first Justice League comic. And what a comic it was. For one thing, it totally humanized a team of heroes that I only knew, really knew from random other comic appearances and the Super Friends cartoon. Flash was sidelined with his arm in a sling. Hawkman was dying from a human scorpion toxin. The Hawks were having marriage problems. It was a huge leap in understanding how deep these characters could run. And Rob was right. It was a horror movie. It was Dr. Moreau's lab mixed with gladiatorial games run by the elite. Also, Aquaman had a great moment where he had to shut down the mind of a giant whale-human hybrid. It's all he did. Also, he did a double take when Superman was visibly frustrated. Uh, yeah, Aquaman, Aquaman gets some, some, a great moment in that storyline. So, yeah, I really like that story. And well, I want to get to it at some point though, on the show. And I'm willing to reread it. Uh, and clearly, just about every single person in the comments said I was wrong, and then that was a great story. So <laughs> clearly, it's, uh, my memory is not so hot, and I need to revisit it. Heard from our buddy Chuck Coletta. Uh, and by the way, we're just cherry-picking some of the comments. I mean, there's a lot more meat in these things, but in order to get through it kind of quick, we're just pulling bits and pieces. One of the things Chuck said was, he goes, I really like the spotlight nature of the episode. and would suggest you guys do one on various sidekicks to Arthur and Professor, uh, and, and to Arthur and to uh, Firestorm, if you're not already done so. I would only suggest this as I just finished reading the intro to the new Aqualad in Teen Titans and would love to hear your thoughts on this mashup between the Young Justice and Jeff John's pre-New 52 versions. I also like to hear any stories or arcs that you recommend for various Aqualads and lasses? You know, Rob, we've been talking forever about doing an Aqualad, um, Aqualass, and Firehawk issue. Well, we, did episode. Do a, we did do did a we? Mira Firehawk episode. We did We did a romance one, yes. Like, it was supposed to be a Valentine's Day special or something, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I think I think that we could still do that. I, mean, I would love to talk about Tula and talk about Lorna and or Lorena. Lorena, what was her name? Um, uh, Lorena, yeah. Lorena, my, and she was fantastic. And, and the new Aqualad and stuff. So um, I think that'd be a blast. We should absolutely do that. Now I do get the Teen Titans book, which I absolutely the new the for Rebirth one, which I, I I don't want to like. I didn't plan on liking. I actually bought it just so I could be snooty and turn my nose up at it. Um, but I really enjoy the heck out of it. It's a lot of fun. I'm an issue or two behind, so I haven't seen the Aqualad introduction yet. But uh, it's a fun comic. Like Damien leading, you know the sort of Wolfman Perez uh, just uh, of Teen Titans like shouldn't work but it does it's really fun so uh, so do you have thoughts on the new Aqualad I really don't know anything about it I, I, I was not even familiar with it until Chuck posted those images you know what I noticed today Aqualad has a shark fin on his back you mentioned that yes I'm like what I had to look at it like three times <laughs> All right. Then we heard from our buddy Chris Franklin, who's also a member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Uh, one of the things he says is Firestorm certainly got a boost from appearing on the superpower seasons of the show and getting a figure in the toy line. And, you know, and that's fair. I felt like I should – I did neglect to mention that during our discussion about Firestorm's history in the JLA. Really, Super Friends, which is really just another form of the JLA, uh, was very helpful in raising the popularity of Firestorm. So, yeah. Well, thank you for calling me out on that, Chris. Sure, yeah. I mean, that was a that's major league exposure, no pun intended. Uh, Chris goes on. He says, as I've said it before, but that Beastman story was shocking. So violent and bloody. Oh, and I hated Aquaman for disbanding the JLA in that damn annual. And when he left them, and when he left them high and dry, literally for Mira, 
Well, Aquanoon was on the, as he puts it, uh, S uh, pound sign, exclamation mark T. I love that he can't even, he curses like a comic strip character. That's very cute. Was on the <laughs> list with me for some time. As for those fill-in issues you enjoyed, pre-JLD, Rob, as much as I love Jerry Conway's work, maybe it was time to hand the title over to a new writer or a rotating pool of writers. It's the same thing that happened in The Flash around the same time. Don't let Carrie Bates run it into the ground. Hand over the baton. I agree with his thoughts. Uh, Justice League Detroit, I feel like the concept was perfectly sound. I, to this day, I still do. I think there was a place for Justice League Detroit. I think the characters were interesting enough it could have carried it. The stories themselves just weren't that great. So I feel like you know if you'd had a – I'm not saying it had to be George Perez, but if you had that same energy that Wolfman and Perez brought to Titans or the same energy Claremont brought to X-Men with that JLD characters, I think they could have been something. I really do. So uh, Chris goes on to say, love, love, love that JLA, JSA, New Gods crossover, even if it took me 20 years to track parts two and three down. Oh, and my secondhand copy of Firestorm's induction issue, JLA 179, some wise-ass kid decided to draw pupils on Firestorm in every panel. <laughs> that cracks me up. Now, at first, I actually had to go back and look at the comic because – Every so often, they do draw pupils in Firestorm's eyes in the comics. So I had to check to make sure that uh, maybe it wasn't just Chris's copy. But sure enough, it does appear just to be yours, Chris. And he says, uh, great show. Thanks. And so thanks, Chris. We appreciate that. Heard my buddy Michelle Fife, you know, a writer-artist of Capra and uh, past books for Marvel and also past guest on the Just League International show. He says, singing Dick Dillon's praises should be a national pastime. I would love to see the few pages of the unfinished issue 184, wondering if they ever ran in a back issue or alter ego or something. And uh, jumping ahead, uh, Chris Franklin came back and told him that Roy Thomas ran them in volume three of his All-Star Companion series of books. And Chris went ahead and scanned in the pages and posted them on our website. So if you go out to the last episode in the comments, you can see some of those panels. Yeah, that was really cool. I remember – I don't I, – that must have been where I, where I saw them because I don't think I've ever seen them anywhere else. But that was really cool. To, it was like unpublished JLA. That's kind of rare. So it was well, neat, I know. neat to see that. Dr. Android's in to say, great episode, especially because I've read many of these stories. For Aquaman, that story where the Atom complains about his superpowers ending, ends with a smoking hot green alien cooing about how awesome he is. Talk about first world problems. <laughs> Way to go, Ray. <laughs> uh, Ange goes on to say, I loved the Satin Satan storyline. The opening page of Firestorm flying giddily, followed by Batman's lecture was perfect. Loved it. And that has Zatanna's in my favorite costume of hers, the Cinderella costume. That was shag. Uh, as for the JLA, JSA, New Gods was my introduction to the whole New Gods lineup. I'm pretty sure this is the first time I met Darkseid, and having him fly off, uh, and having Firestorm fly aboard again made sense for the character. <laughs> well, uh, thank you. Thank you, Ange. Appreciate that. Heard from Alan W. Wright, who says, like many, I love the JLA, JSA, New Gods storyline. And like Chris Franklin, it took me decades to track down parts two and three. How crazy is that? That's so strange. Uh, the Firestorm Power Girl flirtation was such a memorable part of those crossovers. And then he goes on to say uh, that he interviewed Neil Adams last year and asked him about Merlin's first appearance in JLA number 94, which was included uh, he included in his interview. He gave us a link. It's the boldoutlaw.com. And you'll, you can go out there, and it's also the link on our website and it, for the interview with Neil Adams. Very cool. And then he goes on to give this, 
rather interesting sort of circular logic story about it, how Firestorm, uh, if he hadn't joined the JLA, how he would have gone into obscurity. Therefore, they would have pulled him back uh, into the Legends of Tomorrow series because he was obscure and went in the implosion. But wait a minute. Then it, it goes into a circular logic, kind of a Doctor Who spiral that you just can't get out of, a paradox. So thank you for that sharing that, Alan. It made my head hurt for a few minutes there. Now, I, I did want to point out, uh, you talked about Neil Adams. I, I didn't realize this, but I, I bought a box of cereal recently um, that had Wonder Woman on the cover, and it had a comic book inside, and that's why I bought it. I don't know if you've seen these advertised or not. There's a, I think there's an Aquaman one out there. Hmm. But um, So I, it was multi-grain Cheerios, and it had Wonder Woman on the cover, and, it, and I was eating it, and I posted it on the web on Facebook. I thought it was cool, and someone else had to point out to me that this Wonder Woman drawing was by Neil Adams. And uh, Russell, uh, I was like, really? I didn't know that. And Russell's like, well, Jack, his signature is right there on the cover. However, I imagine you were probably distracted because so, it is Wonder Woman. So. <laughs> but Neil Adams drawing, I, I know he used to do commercial art, but drawing for cereal boxes in, in 2017. How yeah, cool is that? Yeah, surprising, yeah. All right. Up next, we heard from our buddy Jeff R. You know, I went through Firestorm's uh, time with the Justice League. He says, I missed one. How dare you, Jeff? He says that the Firestorm uh, Jason Rush version was in the extremely short-lived incarnation of the Justice League during the year after Infinite Crisis, seen in the series 52, issue number 24. The uh, the exception of the rule, he was in that league from the beginning to the end, such as uh, the time period was. You know what, Jeff? That is a very good point. Yes, there was a new Justice League that existed for just one issue of the series 52, which was one of those stories. It's like, you know, the main timeline was going on, and they said, here's what happened in the missing year. That's what 52 was about. So that Justice League was never referenced again. So that is the only appearance of that Justice League. And yes, Jason Rush and Firehawk, both of them were members of that Justice League. So yeah, that is that is a fair acknowledgement, even though they never appeared in actually a Justice League comic book. We got a very quick comment from Luke Dobb, who, of course, has his own podcast now. And he just simply wrote, Max! Exclamation mark. And I was so happy about that because, you know, I got to say, I was really proud of that stinger in the last episode. <laughs> just the amount of effort it took for me to put that together so quickly. And him and Chris Franken were the only two that mentioned it. And I know that I, I don't think everybody necessarily stays for the stingers all the time. So maybe some people miss it or whatever, but I was appreciate that, that Luke took the time to mention it. And I got to give a big thanks to Max Romero for doing it. Cause I wrote him the night we recorded, I had the idea and I was like, Max, I don't have time to explain this to you. Are you free tomorrow to record like a 30 second bit with me? He's like, yeah, sure. Of course. So I went and did it. The whole thing took like 45 seconds. One take Romero as he's known in the business. He got it done. And I was like, okay, we're done. He's like, that's it. I was like, yeah, that's the whole thing. He's like, okay, bye. So that was the end of, that was the whole bit. I have a one word response to that stinger for both of you. Assholes. <laughs> All right. Heard my buddy Mark Baker write. He says, uh, I especially enjoyed this episode. As a fan who gen uh, whose general comic knowledge is admittedly well below the, uh, those of most of the folks who seem to comment on these pages, I was pleasantly surprised to learn that I was pretty well versed on Firestorm's publication history, at least vis-a-vis -vis his appearances in Justice League. Uh, but Shag seems to make it pretty clear that outside of his own two series run and his backup in The Flash, there wasn't much else for the first 15 years or so of Firestorm's existence. I'm going to step out of Mark's email for a second there. That is pretty much it. I mean, it was the two Firestorm series, it was uh, Justice League, the Flash backups, but then you got maybe like, you know, you get a Brave and the Bold issue, you get a couple issues of DC Comics Presents. They're really wasn't much else Firestorm would appear in. You know, if, if the Justice League had a cameo somewhere, he might be in the back of a panel somewhere, not even colored. Um, or if there's, you know, once Crisis on Earth starts, then he starts to show up in crossovers. But Firestorm didn't do much. And pretty much for the first 10 years of existence, 
almost every single appearance of Firestorm was written by Jerry Conway. So really very contained existence. All right. Mark continues. Shag, I think it was you who commented a bit that Firestorm tended to join leagues sometime after they were established rather than in the beginning. But did I hear you correctly in citing extreme justice as an exception? I suppose it could be made, a case could be made that Firestorm for being there in the beginning as they were clearly working through Fire, Ronnie's battle with cancer from the first issue. But of course he doesn't become Firestorm again until the fourth issue. So I'm not sure if it can be said that he really have joined it when the group formed. Uh, that is a fair distinction. You're absolutely correct, Mark. Firestorm did join in the fourth issue. However, I was kind of leaning it saying, you know, uh, Ronnie Raymond was in the very first issue of Justice League and his destiny was always very clear going to be part of Extreme Justice. They just had to get through the story to get there. So as far as I'm concerned, he was a member from the beginning. But no, you make a very fair distinction. So, And also he gave a shout out to the Power Company, another team Firestorm joined, pointing out Firestorm was quite the joiner in that era. And that was always, that was a fun series. I enjoyed that. I wish it had gone a little bit longer. And I guess that's going to do it. Uh, thanks, folks. Again, just a short burst of feedback pulled from the website from last episode. We just felt like it was a nice thematically uh, with Justice League. It would be good to grab that real quick. So, uh, Rob, why don't you want to tell them, because uh, I'm going to sit down. I'm out of breath. You want to tell them about your social media? Because this could take a minute. <laughs> um, yeah, at uh, Treasury Comics and at uh, pod underscore Dylan and at Film and Water Podcast. And, of course, our Twitter feed is at FW Podcast, where we tweet about all of the various shows on the network. And, of course, the website is fireandwaterpodcast.com. And you also do Aquaman Shrine and all these other ones and all these other Twitters, Real Donald Trump, all those are yours. No, um, that, uh, that is absolutely not mine. Uh, just to get off that for a moment, <laughs> we should mention we're not going to get into it just yet, but – we, of course, are coming up on Fire and Water Podcast number 200. So we will be announcing soon what plans we have for that episode. Stay tuned. And we're going to make sure you guys are part of it. That's right. So very exciting stuff. You can find me on Facebook as Firestorm Fan and Twitter under the same handle. And, of course, all the Fire and Water Podcast places that you want to be. Uh, I think that's going to do it, folks. So until next time, fan the flame. And ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. They stand for truth and justice and see a land in there. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah. Turn card, six of diamonds and a flush for Mickelson, but not over yet, boys. Yeah, Lovelace can still survive with an eight or a jack for a full house. River card, queen of diamonds and a royal flush for Mickelson. Oh, Lovelace is gone. What a hell of a way to go out. Enjoy it, fella. Our eardrums are fortunate. Havad or Umberto wasn't the one to hit that royal flush.